Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Animals to the Max. I'm Corbin Maxey. What's up, everyone? Thank you for listening to the program. Oh, my goodness. I am... I'm For any of you who follow me on social media, or if you know me personally, friends or family, you know that I am absolutely obsessed with Africa. Like I'm obsessed. I've been twice and I'm so obsessed. I I have a, we have a spare room in my home and it's literally dedicated to Africa. There's a beautiful picture of a leopard that my friend Amy got uh, for me. Hey Amy, she took a picture of a leopard in the Serengeti. Anyway, that's hanging above the bed. I have just a bunch of African artifacts. Just, I absolutely love it. And so In today's podcast, we are going to talk Africa and other places around the world with Jerry Vandervolt. He is such an amazing guy. He is the co-founder of Wild Eye, which is a photographic safari company. They lead expeditions and trips all around the world. This guy is South African. And so we literally sit around, I think we talk for over an hour and just talk Africa and talk about his amazing experiences photographing wildlife around the world. And this is, I, you know, if you've ever wanted to go to Africa or you want to get a sense of what it's like, this is the podcast to listen to. We go in depth with everything, you know, regarding just travel. We, you know, we talk about the Maasai Mara, of course, in Kenya, about the great wildebeest crossings. We talk about him photographing polar bears, which is just that's definitely high on my bucket list. We, you know, talk about his experience. This, by the way, is also on my bucket list, uh, going to photograph gorillas. I mean, this guy has done it all. And uh, we also talk about his time with chimpanzees. The list goes on. And I'm. it was so cool to get Jerry on the podcast. I've been trying to connect with Jerry for several months. And as you know, it's, you know, he's in South Africa and he literally travels the world. I think he's gone like 300 days out of the year. So it was uh, <laughs> kind of hard to pin this guy down. And I'm so happy Jerry, uh, you know, took the time to do this show. You might be familiar with Jerry because he hosts the Wildlife Photography Podcast, which is one of my favorite wildlife podcasts. And I have to say, I am not a wildlife photographer. I don't own a, uh, <laughs> I don't own a fancy camera, and I still enjoy the podcast because he's just uh, really takes you on these adventures with wildlife and animals. So super passionate about this interview. I really hope you enjoy my interview with Jerry from Wild Eye. Yeah, how you doing, man? And sorry, sorry for the delay. It's been crazy, but I'm glad we can finally sit, man. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I'm I'm so sorry for bugging you too, because you are literally all uh, around the world. I I just had a meeting with someone earlier, and actually Marlon and I recorded a segment for one of our videos, and we spoke about when we see each other next. So we're living in we, well, we live in the same area. We work in the same office. I'm seeing him after tomorrow. I think twice the rest of the year because it's just travel, travel, travel. So. It is what it is, hey? I mean, it's what we do. Dude, what a life. And first of all, for all of you listening, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Wildlife Photography Podcast. So if you're listening, pause this podcast right now and go look up the Wildlife oh. Photography Podcast and hit oh. subscribe. You're very it's kind, great. Man. It's great. Thank you. I was, can I be honest with you? You were the first, this is before I even knew what a podcast was. I was having like, kind of like a down day (laughs) in the wintertime, missing Africa, because I've been to the Maasai Mara, and I just literally went to iTunes, typed in Maasai Mara, and Jerry, your podcast came up. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, podcast for me is a pretty new thing as well. It's, I mean, we've all known Instagram and Facebook, and then I started trying to, I don't even know where I heard about it. Oh, a news channel said podcast. I went and said podcast, what it is. 
it's already, I thought, well, I, I know I can talk a little bit, so let me, let me try this thing, and it's been great, eh? Yeah, I love it, and I love how, and I'm not just kissing up to you, because I, I listen to a lot of, like, wildlife podcasts, and I love, yeah. you're just so real, you're authentic. <laughs> Jerry, I love when you go on rants, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's moments, and, and normally the rants happen pretty well when you're tired from travel, and someone says something stupid on social media, then it gets real. But uh, I, I think, I mean, I think it comes from, from, from just the passion of what we do. It's, there's so many people trying to take it away from what it really is. Just, I mean, I saw your Masamara video. They were very, I was just watching them a bit early on. Really cool. I mean, I'm going there on Monday. I'm traveling back to Kenya. And I think it's just, it is such a beautiful thing to do what we do, to see these places that if people start messing with it, it kind of feels personal, eh? Yeah. Are you jaded by this all? Because you travel all the time. Is the Maasai Mara just like another, it's just like, oh, it's the Mara again. Or do you get still excited? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, I was speaking to Marlon about this earlier on. It's, it's gotten to a point where, I mean, the Mara for us is, is special because we've got our own camp there. So the staff are like my brothers and sisters. And so going there to me feels like going home because I've got my own tent and it's like this whole thing. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not jaded by the travel. And the, the biggest thing I'm nervous for is because we travel so often as that you get blasé about what you do. And earlier this year, I had to take stock. I literally, I was sitting in, I think it was in Tebe, just before going to a gorilla trip. And I've just come back from Borneo and I was just in Svalbard for polar bears. And I had to slow myself down. I said, you know what? It's too easy for life just to kind of go and you forget and to, to, to take stock and just realize how special it is. So I'm, 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 I'm very aware of how lucky I am. But to me, I want to translate that to my guests because it might be their first and only time. So it, it's difficult sometimes with the travel side of it and being away from home for three months or whatever it is. But no, I, I, I'm very aware of the privilege. It's, it's a great privilege. Man, I love the Mara. Like I literally felt home. And is that just – I mean because you, you're from South Africa – so, I mean, yes, yes. do you feel the same or do you think it's a load of crap? Because, you know, some people say there's a, this innate <laughs> feeling like I'm in my I'm in the motherland. I felt it. Have you ever felt that or are you just it's, like no, I, I hear you. And it's a it's a cool thing because for me, I mean, so we come from I'm from the dark continent. Right. We come from South Africa and the whole thing. But people from here and I think the Mara is like that. You can go to, for example, Sabi Sands or the Kruger National Park from, from your part of the world. And it'll be cool, but it'll be a different bush experience. You go to East Africa. And it feels like you said, it feels like home. To me, it's the same thing of someone from here, for example, going into Times Square for the first time in Manhattan. You walk in there, you think, this is incredible. It's so huge. Holy hell, this is amazing. But it still feels familiar because you've seen the movies. You've seen, it just feels familiar, yet still special at the same time. And for me, the Mara is still that. It's, it's quintessential Africa. Man, it is. I mean, just describe it for all the listeners what the Maasai Mara is. I mean, where it is, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a good point. So where it is, if you look at Africa on a map and you kind of, as an easy thing, put your finger dead in the middle, it's just to the right of that. So that's East Africa. It's um, Tanzania and Kenya are both together. A lot of people, funny enough, mix up Tanzania and Kenya. They think it's very much the same thing. They speak about the Serengeti, but it's part of the whole Maasai Mara Serengeti ecosystem. So it's pretty much in the middle of Africa on the eastern side. And I mean, how do you describe the Masamara? It's, if you've seen Out of Africa, it's that. It's sitting on the top. There's these rolling hills that just keep going on and on and on. You've got these scattered umbrella thorn trees. I mean, it's literally a tree with an umbrella. It, it just, and then sky is larger than you can imagine. From a, 
And, I mean, what time of year were you there? You were there at the migration time. Yeah, so I was there in the migration time, and then I also went back in January. Uh, is this recent? No. No, no. I mean, you could probably tell I'm in those African videos, I look like a little baby. You're probably looking at yeah, me Yeah, I thought like, you looked look, young. Yeah, yeah <laughs> look different. I'm I, having I think a, we need to get you back then, man. Come on. Dude, I know. I, I literally wanted to Too quit good. everything and move and be yeah. a guide. I would be an awful guide, though, Jerry. Like, I didn't even bring binoculars my second time to Africa. I know it's like the stupidest thing to say. I, anyway, no. I still had a We can remedy that. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, yeah, go ahead. So I think I mean so if you if you've been on a safari anywhere in Africa, and literally anywhere in Africa, the the scale of the Masamara and especially during the migration season when these massive herds of wildebeest actually get to the Mara and the Mara Triangle, is I say to people from South Africa who have grown up going on safari and going to the Kruger, and you say to them, listen, take all the animals you've ever seen on every single game drive that you've done throughout your life. During migration, you will see more than that on the first drive. That is the scale of the place. It is just, and the nice thing is because because you've got these rolling hills, the visual range is spectacular. I mean, we'll be driving with Jimmy, one of my guides up in Kenya. You'll be driving, he'll stop in the middle of nowhere. You look around and think, okay, well, cool. He gets his, he has binoculars, by the way. He takes his <laughs> binoculars and you'll kind of look and say, oh, male lion. And you think, what? And you check, and it's just miles off. So the visual range, uh, and this is both from a, from a game viewing and a photography point of view is just, it's next level. It really is. I mean, I've been going there now for probably about nine years, maybe, I don't know, between three and 10 safaris a year. And it doesn't get old. Man. It's it just, just ridiculous, man. I love it. I, I loved it. And you know, the first day, the first time I was there, we actually had bad luck. You're never going to believe this. We did not see lions. Yeah. That's a bad luck in the morrow. We did not see lions the first that's, day. That's almost unheard of. It is, but you know why? It was it was the year in 2012. There was a lot of rain that year, and there was a lot of high grass. It was hiding all the predators. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny enough, the grass now. I mean, I was up there. I don't know four or five weeks ago because we were just putting up our new campus up, and we drove around. And I mean, the grass is in meters terms, 1.2 meters. I mean, it's up here. And the, the the funny thing though is that means from a migration point of view that the herds are arriving there now. I think they had their first crossing over the Mara River two days ago. Two really? Days ago. We just got the update. Yeah, the, okay. the first major crossing. So as time now goes, the wildebeest will obviously trample it. The, uh, the zebra and the wildebeest will, I mean, they'll smash the grass up. Your predator sightings just gets better and better and better. Oh, man. But the, the cool thing is, even during now with the grass tall, I mean, I've had times, I, mean, I don't know how your crossings were, but where you'll sit at the river, and there'll be lions on both sides of, a, of an access point, for example. These things will cross, and they just go whack. They kill something, they drag it away. And then the wildebeest, 10 rows back, you don't know what the hell happened. They think, okay, well, let's cross. Five kills in an hour. And the predators just hang around these rivers. Oh. Now, that system is ridiculous. You, if, if you and I had to sit down and say, oh let's God. plan the perfect safari destination, you couldn't beat this. I, Jerry, and I, you're, you're, okay, this is bad luck, too. I did not see a crossing. <laughs> Oh, no, come on. Dude. Listen, I've got a space open in September. You need to come and join me then. We'll make it happen, man. Well, come on. Here's the deal. I was with a vulture researcher from the Peregrine Fund, Dr. Munir Varani, a very a very respected right. scientist. So he was out looking for birds, and that's how I was, yes. that's how I was able to go off-road. He had special permits. I mean – I sure. really, I really wasn't there for the birds. I mean, I mean, of course I was there for the birds, but I was like, you know, looking around for the lions. And so our goal though was to go catch vultures. So that's why, you right. know, yeah. But, uh, 
You know what shocked cool. me? You know what shocked me though, Jerry? Like I didn't realize yeah. it seemed like all the wildebeest like would go in like single file and then they would just stop at the bank and just stare for like hours because because yeah. we did uh. wait. <laughs> the, the amount of time I, I said to someone earlier this week actually that, that they're coming with me on migration. So next week this time I'm on migration and. If I could add up the amount of hours I've sat next to that river waiting for wildebeest to get in, I mean, I, I, it's it must be weeks, if not months or years. They literally, you'll, I mean, you'll see, they'll walk in and they'll just get there like, I don't know, 30 centimeters in. They'll stop and stand. Everybody's got their cameras ready. And then they turn around and they go back. It's like, <laughs> oh, God. Literally hours, days, weeks waiting for these things. It's just, I, I, I mean, no disrespect to wildebeest, but I think they are a bit stupid. Um, there's no, there's no real leader as such. In, and it's funny the behavioral differences between wildebeest in East Africa and Southern Africa, because in Southern Africa the males actually have own little territories which they actively defend against, and then females come in and they try and keep the girls there and whatever. In East Africa, it's just a free for all. They just go. I mean, we we call the guy Hugo. He's the lead. Hugo, no Hugo, no Hugo. But, <laughs> It, it, it's such a dynamic thing. Man. Yeah, and I think what happens is like we all watch like National Geographic and see them crossing instantly. So I'm sure you have guests just imagining that it's just going to be just like that, and then it, they don't realize yeah. the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, some people, and it's funny the, the narrative that, that's out there is people come on a safari on, on a migration safari with us, and they they'll say, "I hope we see a migration," and you kind of first time it's like, "Okay, no, cool, we'll we'll see them." And then later on, they, we go on drive and you'll see a lion and you'll see a leopard, whatever. And they say, okay, I'm, I still hope we see a migration. So, I mean, the migration is not an isolated event. It happens year round. It's the thing that people want to see are these river crossings. That's what, that's what you're talking about. It is they, the river crossing is kind of the pinnacle of the great migration. You, you can watch it any time of the year. Cause I mean, it's, it's about a 950 kilometer circle that these things do year round. I mean, since I don't know the beginning of time, they've been walking the circle and it's got to do with rains and feeding. But the river crossings is, if someone says they want to see the Great Migration, that's it. It's those, I mean, we've had crossings lasting for five, six, seven hours. Really? Just, you, literally, you start, at the earliest one, I think we started about nine in the morning. And again, we sat there since seven. They go in, they go out, they go in, they go out, they wait, they lay down, they get up, they go in again. But when it broke, literally that evening at about four or five, we left. And these things were still going. Are the you, scale is, you can't, oh you can't describe it, eh? We, I mean, did you just want to stay there? Have you ever had like a difficult guest that's like, I want to go, I need lunch. Like, I would be so mad, Jerry. I don't think I would be a good guide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you see, maybe for the, the, the binoculars, we can excuse that to the dodge. Yes. No, um, so I mean, there's, there's very few people, I think, and with Wild Eye, we're lucky that when I was managing lodges and guiding, people then book themselves into the lodge, and I think their expectations as to what they're going to see and how it's going to be and stuff a bit different. But with Wild Eye, what we've been able to do is, I think because of the brand we've put up, because of me and Marlon and Trevor and all my guys, they, they put out this passion for wildlife. So the people who follow us and eventually come on a trip, they get it. The, the funniest thing once was, and these people were quite unhappy. Um, <laughs> they, in the Mara Triangle, you've got the one big lodge, Serena Lodge. They're up on a little hill close to the river. If you drive close by there, you can actually get the Wi-Fi from Serena Lodge in your game viewer, oh my right? Gosh. So now these, I think it was a group of four. So they figured this out and they were very keen on their Wi-Fi. So they told, I think they were with Sammy, one of my guides. And they said, no, we need to drive just here because then we can like, I don't know, update Instagram and check oh. mail, whatever they want to do. But then in the same breath, they're complaining because they're not seeing what the other guests are seeing. I said, well, what do you want? <laughs> do you want Wi-Fi or do you want Africa? So it was a bit of a, it was a funny one. But 
I think, Corbin, most people are, they're there for the experience. And they're happy to sit for five, six, seven hours to see, for example, a leopard jump down a tree. Because oh, that's, what, that's why we're there. That's one thing. Sorry to go off topic, Jerry. I, I'm, oh, man. I'm dying. I am dying to see a leopard. I've almost seen one, Jerry. But you know what? I, I'll tell you what. Almost. Almost. It, it, it was, so we were in, oh my goodness, along the Talic River, or along the Talic, yes. and uh, they, we, we got a little radio in, because everyone kind of radios each other, and we rushed over, and there was a bunch yes. of safari vehicles, and one safari operator was going off-road trying to flush it out of the, uh, out, out of the thicket, and I just, it was so unnatural, I thought, this is not yeah. how I want to see my first leopard. It, it wasn't, it didn't seem right. No. No, it's, there's people obviously cross the lines. I mean, leopard is a bit of an anomaly. It's under people who go on their first safari and as they drive in, there's a leopard up a tree. I can, if you say to me, you want to see leopards, come to South Africa, I'll take you to Mala Mala, Londolozi. You'll, you'll, you will see them. Um, and then you get my uncle, for example, he's 65, 66 years old. He's been going to the bush safari from a kid. He has never in the wild seen a leopard. It's it just, these things are the most bizarre things. They, wow. you, you can't go to areas where, I mean, I was in Mala Mala recently for a private guided trip that I hosted there. We saw, oh goodness, five, six, maybe six or seven different leopards again and again and again and again. Wow. So the, the leopard is, and that's why when people plan a safari, it's important that they kind of know what they want. If you just want to see leopard, I might not send you to Madikwe, but I might send you to Mala Mala. Um, but yeah, I mean, what you mentioned about people kind of trying to flush things, it happens. And yeah, that, that stuff, that's a very, very strong feelings about that because we should, and it's just for people going on safari and photographing, we should go there and kind of try and witness a world that would continue even if we're not there. The moment you affect behavior, you fail as a photographer, as a person going on a safari, and some people still don't get that. And yeah, it's a sad thing. It really is. Yeah, yeah. We saw the same thing with, with, a, with a black rhino, which, I mean, when, when I was there, there was only like 25, and it was in the morning, and we yeah. saw like... This, there's like one safari operator that had a really bad reputation. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a couple. It's definitely not your. It's definitely not your company. But they, <laughs> dude, they were chasing this rhino across the plains. The rhino was so angry, had its tail up, and we we didn't even stop or even we just went no. we, we went the other way. It didn't seem right. You you don't want to see that. You as a no. guest don't want to see that. And I think that the problem comes in where again a different discussion as far as guiding qualifications and ethics. But a lot of the East African Safari operators use guides in inverted commas, and they're basically just drivers. So they know the roads, and they can get you from Nairobi, for example, into the Mara, or from Arusha to the Serengeti. They can drive you. But then when it gets to those, they, they don't have the depth of knowledge and understanding of animal behavior that if they say to their guest, and there's certain groups of people that are worse with this, but the guide will say, listen, no, sorry, Corbin, you know what? We can't go closer because if we go closer, we might stress that thing out whatever, the, the black rhino. And then the guest will say, oh, well, this $100 says we won't. And then the guide, not understanding the bigger picture or the, the kind of what they're starting, $100 pocket and go. And, and unfortunately, it is a thing all over Africa. It, it's just a thing. But that to me is the difference between good and ethical guiding and companies. It, it's an unfortunate thing, but it does happen. Yeah, I mean, still, and we could we could get more positive because the Maasai Mara is just so full of wildlife. I mean, oh my goodness! I mean, w would you say that's a really good place to see leopards, Jerry? I mean, because I have to see a leopard before I go. Funny enough, yes. Um, I, I, I'm trying to think back. This year, I've been there three or four times. I've seen leopard every time. I think last year of so last year we ran I think twelve 
safaris during the migration, six nights, seven days safaris. And if I'm not mistaken, I think there might just be one of the groups that didn't see leopards. The nice thing is, and, and this comes back to local knowledge, if you're going to go into the Mara Triangle, for example, as, as a little micro system, I can tell you where these things have territory. So you need to then double down and say, right, if we're going to look for the Kaboko female, you're going to stay in the southern area close to Purungut and you look at those lagers, the little drips that you go through, because she's been there for the last four years. The Derisha male is up north, close to the Escop. So with that kind of local knowledge, and if you're willing to have patience and take the time, you'll see them. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I'm so, and I was also there. I mean, this is, I'm really dating myself, but do you remember, I, you have to remember the famous Notch, like Notch and Sons, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I didn't did you, see. Did you get to see them? No. It, this is the most oh, different. No, just wait. Jerry, here's the deal. So we, I was there for the Vultures and, uh-huh. and Munir, he's a really good friend of mine. He's like, well, you know, we heard notches about an hour away. He's near, he's oh, yeah, like yeah. near town. He you know, <clears throat> killed a buffalo. Listen, uh-huh. we can probably see him tomorrow. And I was like, okay. And then anyway, it was my last day. We didn't see Notch. But my God. Yeah. Just incredible. Talk just a little bit about them because they had this crazy col- um, collision, this male collision. That is, I mean, I think the first thing, you were in there 2012, hey? 2012. Yeah, so he was actually that pretty must old. Have been right at the end. I think he must have died that year or the year after. So, I mean, not just famous, I think it comes from the Big Cat Diaries that Jonathan and Angela Scott did. So, the Marsh Pride became the superstars of this reality series. I think they did 14 seasons of this thing. Mm-hmm. And they basically followed the the, the, the superstar cats of the Mara around. So the Marsh Pride Notch was he's an iconic lion, not just in, in, in Kenya, in East Africa as a whole. And he had five sons. There's this one particular, I, I don't know who took this image. I'm sure if you Google it, with him and all of them in a straight line oh. crossing the river. You, I mean, I, I might just weep a little just thinking about it. It is, yeah. I've never seen lions like that cross a river. So now what's happened is not passed away and the sons, I think there's four of them now. You've heard of Scar or Scar. Yes, face. yes, yeah, of course. Now he, he all comes from that kind of lineage. He's there now. He is to the Mara right now what Notch was when you were there in 2012-13. Problem is again now, he's also at the end. But oh, these cats, they are, they, 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 there's two species for me that in any ecosystem will just raise the tension. And, and the feeling of, the first is elephants because of how they change the environment and their presence purely and then the stress that lions introduce. Now, stress both from a game viewing point of view because um, you want to see them. People get very tense if they don't see a lion. But also the stress they inject into the, the herbivore and the prey species. But, I mean, Scar for us has been, I don't think many of our clients ever in the last seven, eight years saw Notch because where we operate mostly on the, on the western side of the river, the Triangle, he was up north, kind like of ta- in the marshes on the far side. Yeah, yeah. Talek side. Talek side. Uh, see? Yeah. No. Yeah. I only saw them once that I can recall. It must be 2011, maybe even 12 somewhere. But since then, when he started going old, it's funny, a male lion, you'll know, goes from incredible condition to basically death like that. They, they, and look, they recover just as fast if, they, if they're quite healthy. But those iconic cats are – and the funny thing is, I mean, if you put your and my audience together – we times it by four. These things have Facebook pages with more followers than that. Combined. I'm a friend. Jerry, I am on Notch's <laughs> Facebook page. I swear to God, I was like, I was on the message board. I just updated a few months ago. Like every, no <laughs> one knows it. what happened. I mean, I think, I, yeah. I don't know if he was, some people think he was poisoned um, or, you know, yeah. ate a, you know, contaminated carcass because he was really close to that town. Like, right. I mean, he was pretty yeah. close to the town. Yeah. The, the human animal conflict in that area, because I mean, in Southern Africa, um, okay, mostly South Africa. The reserves are fenced. You've got a fence running around the reserve. 
because they had to take, in Southern Africa, they had to take certain communities and say, listen, if you guys can just move a little bit this way for us, we put a fence here in order to maintain the animals inside. East Africa, Botswana, most of the other countries don't have that. And in, in, in the Masamara specifically, the buffer zone between, for example, civilization, i.e. Nairobi, and the actual game reserve is those villages. So the, 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 the conflict there, now recently there was another poisoning happening because this pride went to attack uh, cattle or whatever it was. And yeah, Notch was, Notch was kind of famous for that. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that was weird for me, too, going to Africa for the first time because driving from the Mara and we and I don't know, you're like you're you're a celebrity. So you probably fly right into the Mara. But I had to, I had to take the back road. I had to take the whole crappy six and a half hour bumpy. No, like no. <laughs> that, Dude, I've driven that thing. The first year I ever did a trip there was my previous company was called Photo Africa. And purely from a cost point of view, I thought, you know what? I'm trying to get into the market and do the whole thing. And we drove in a minivan. I had two minivans. And you drive Nairobi past the Great View, uh, Great Rift Valley. You go through Narok. I don't think I've been that scared in a vehicle. I've driven in some strange places in Africa. Holy hell, these guys are driving like 90 kilometers an hour. There's potholes that can swallow up an SUV, and they're just swerving. No, yeah. it was mad. Absolutely mad. So no, I've done that, and I feel your pain. It's real. I'll tell you what. I mean, so do you just fly right in? I mean, I'm assuming you just fly right in. That's probably the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So, I mean, what we do now is, and it's purely, I think, it's both from a, uh, from a, what do we do this, experience point of view for the guests and also from a time point of view. Because when you drive, I mean, it's, it's only, I think, I'm speaking in a correction here, like 380 kilometers, but it takes you six, seven hours to do that. Mm-hmm. So basically one day of game viewing is gone. So what we do is the clients fly in and we take a flight from Wilson Airport, which is in Nairobi. It's a 45-minute beautiful scenic flight over and you land in the Mora. In so 45 minutes? 45-minute flight, yes. Scenic flight, up and down, you see the river. It's awesome. So you basically, in the Mara, game viewing, if you will, from 10.30 in the morning. So what happens then is often, 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 I've had times where we would land in the Mara, and within the first five minutes, we're at a river crossing or with lions or with cheetah. And then on the last day as well, so then you get an extra day in. On the last day of the trip, if we had to drive it, we had to leave in order to get people to their flights, I don't know, 7, 8 in the morning – the, the flight out, because it's 45 minutes, we leave at four in the afternoon, so you still have an entire day at the end. So it is experience and kind of trying to keep people alive and off the road, yeah. but it's a timing thing. You want to maximize your time in the place. Yeah, and I have to tell you, Jerry, this is a 100% true story. God, all my Africa stuff sounding so negative, but it is kind of funny. I had, I had a bit of like a 24-hour food poisoning on that oh. that night so i was and not only were we stopping to collect dead rap or excuse me we, we weren't collecting dead raptors like birds of prey on the road but we were photographing of course, of course. them for research so imagine like literally like ugh, like the smell and i was puking all the way and then no, I it's, had to, it's, real. it's real jerry i had to use a bathroom like in um Narok, right or Narok. i mean that town <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh Narok, my God. Yeah, yeah. don't ever go in the bathroom i mean it was the most like i literally looked at the bathroom and i was like i'd rather just go outside i mean it was no. <laughs> It's a funny thing, and I think the the one the, the, look the one plus side for me of driving, like you say now, is I think there's a very like like for example, I've got a trip. One of my guys, Mike, is in Kenya now. They're doing Amboseli. Then they drive, which is about also about a five six hour drive to Lake Naivasha. They do two nights there. They drive to Lake Nakuru and they drive to the Mara. And if 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 you do that, I do think there's a certain amount of context that people get and they understand the landscape in which these animals live. The amount of arguments and, I mean, debate, whatever that I've had with people 
of, yeah, but Africa should do this with the animals and that with the animals and they should move the people. I said, dude, have you been there? Have you seen what Narok looks like? Have you seen the way that people live and how they think about the wildlife? So I think, I mean, look, horror stories, bathrooms, I'm, I'm with you. Don't go there. Go around a bush. It's much better. <laughs> but, but I do think it's, it's great context for the understanding. If people go there once, I have them asking, should they fly or drive? We make them fly. I said, if you want to drive, that's cool. Go the day before so you don't lose game viewing time. But understand, you, you have to respect the local kind of culture and context. But yes. I'm with you 100%. I, I have, and funny enough, this sounds strange, but I've got a love-hate relationship with Africa. I mean, love everything we've spoken about. The notch, the Mara, the travel, blah, blah, blah. But there's also these things that I think, holy shit, this, this can't be that bad. Come on, man. It's not that difficult. But it is what it is. So yeah. um, no, I'm with you 100%. There. And I don't want to offend anyone in the rock, but your bathrooms are horrible, man. Oh, my goodness. That's, they're just... No, dude. <clears throat> no. I mean, yeah. I, I've had... I think we went there once. And I had to do a bathroom, which was, I prefer not to talk about it like you. It's different. But we had to go, have you tried to do shopping there? Yes. It, it, it's an interesting experience in itself. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. But I mean, I think, I think it's these stories where, I like, I mean, from my, where was I? Um, I was in Borneo now, a couple of months ago. And you go walk around Saba and... The guide will say to you, no, no, you can't go walk there. I said, dude, I, I've done Africa. I think I'm cool. And even though it's, I, I don't want to use the word horrible or disgusting, but it's, it's not quite what I would expect. It's still, for me, part of that travel story. And at the moment, you might think, oh, this is terrible. But I mean, now we have a podcast five years later, and you're thinking, oh, how cool it was that I didn't go to the toilet. I bet you think there's those stories that make it work, hey? I think so, too. Yeah, I, I absolutely <laughs> love the whole experience. I think next time I go, though, I would like to fly in. But I also like that whole adventure. I mean, it is. It's so cool, you know, going into the uh, bar and stuff like that. Do you? It's, 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 yeah, go ahead. No, go sorry, ahead. Sorry. No, go. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just thinking, I think the, the experience is what it's about. I mean, even though we, we, my guests and I, we focus on wildlife photography, I keep on punching it to them and saying, it's the experience of wildlife photography. One day when you show someone that picture of Scar that you got, you're going to tell the story, not just of, oh, look, this was one-tenth of a second or whatever it might have been. It was, you know what? I went to a bathroom in a rock. I tried to buy a beer, and it wasn't cold. And, 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 and then I got the shot. You know what I mean? So it's, it's all of the stories, man. That's what makes it work. By the way, we are so spoiled here in the States with cold beer. It took three days to, because the, the generator would shut off. It took three days to chill our beer at camp. Yeah, we, we actually – I mean, John, my partner standing over here, he's also not scared of a cold beer. All you have to tell them is Tusca Baridi, which means cold beer. But what we've done now at camp, because of this exact same reason, we actually got a new what's a bar fridge thing just to chill the beers because that's how important it is. Oh my God. Now you get someone like, like Jimmy, who's one of my guides there, right? Mm -hmm. he, he's a complete rock star, and I don't think I've seen a more chill person in my life. He doesn't worry about anything. The one night in between camp changes in the old days, I gave myself a cold beer. I said, Jimmy, what can I get you? No, whiskey. Okay, that's cool. So whiskey, do you want ice with it? No, 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 it's cool. What do you mean no? He says, no, just bring me hot water. I said, dude, what? So he takes, like he's making tea, hot water, and a shot of whiskey, and that's his drink. I said, dude, there's oh. something wrong with you. Oh. So, so some of them drink their beer hot. I'm with you. Cold beer, as cold as can be. I mean, you can come away anywhere in Africa if you have ice. If you have ice, you can live anywhere in Africa. Yeah. And you probably make money. Oh, my God, you could. I mean, anyway, but there's nothing. I'll tell you what, Jerry. There's nothing mm -hmm. like being on a game drive all day and then at 4 o'clock in the afternoon just having a Tusker. Like, um, oh, my goodness. Like, it's just no, – there's – And funny enough, for those people listening, if you haven't um, if you haven't tried a Tusker, 
it is easy drinking and the cool thing, it's a bonus because in South Africa, most of our beers are 330 milliliters. Tuskers come standard as a 500. Jerry, hold so on. So after a long day on safari, it's golden. Hold on one second. Can I show you something really quick? Of course. I have to, I have to run to my office, okay? Give me one second. Hold on. Go for it, man. Yeah, take your time. Look at this. No, you have... How the hell is that beer still closed? I, I know. So it's still closed. And you know, this actually is not my office. This is in our guest spare room. And I have to tell yeah. people, like, listen, do not drink this beer. It's probably so bad you right flew, now. You flew a Tusker back home and it's still closed. Yes, it's still closed. And I had and some... And that's from 2012. Yes. Did, dude, did, I need to send you some new ones, man. Dude, you need to. Now, did they change <laughs> the logo? Did they change the logo at all? Or does it that, still look the same? It is. It looks exactly like that store. Okay. Now, I want to exactly ask Exactly like that. Go, I want to ask you a question. I heard the reason why it's called the Tusker is because the man who invented this recipe got gored to, gored to death by an elephant. You know what? Actually, I have no idea. Jonah, okay. do you, have you heard the story where Tusker, because there's the elephant in front. Tusker's called Tusker because the guy who invented it was gored to death by an elephant. His friend or his brother. So, not, not him, but someone. So, yeah, there, there is some truth there. Oh, my there. gosh. Well, cheers to him. I yeah. mean, recipes. Anyway, so I had to show you that. I knew you'd be yeah. so excited. I mean, oh, anyway. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. I, I don't even have Tuskers here, and I'm closer than you are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, 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 you don't? You don't have Tuskers in South Africa? No. Tuskers is a Kenyan thing. I mean, you can find it. I was in Uganda now with gorillas. We could find it there. Um, each of the African countries kind of have their own thing. Like Namibia has Tafel, and we've got Castle Light or Vintuk, for example, Namibia. But Tuskers, that's Kenyan. That's like if you, that, that's Kenya right there. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, do you have just <laughs> – I can't believe I showed you that. I mean, whatever. I, I love that beer. That's awesome. Um, and actually, I don't, even, I don't even remember what it tastes like. It's probably – I don't even know. But <laughs> it's still good. Yeah, no, you see, wait, wait, you need to come on this Samara Safari. And the, the cool thing is then we'll go out in the morning. We'll watch a crossing because you haven't seen one yet. So we'll make sure that happens. Then we don't have to wait until you get back at four. See, the rule is once you see a crossing, you're allowed to have a beer. It it just it goes well together, man. It's just a thing of beauty. <laughs> My professor from Boise State, I won't say his name, but his rule was we were we were trying to find the the um all the big five. And every time we okay. found a big five, he would crack a beer. And I'm telling you what, it was like six o'clock in the morning, Buffalo. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. You need to choose your reserve carefully there because you're going to go down singing, man. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, really quick, Jerry, do you have a favorite destination to travel to for you wow. personally? Um, you know what? I think, I mean, Corbin, I think that if you ask me that most days, I would probably say to you Svalbard because it's, it's – and I've, I've been there for seven years running, but it's so different. No. It is literally to me – I step into that up north. It's um, Arctic Norway where we do polar bears and stuff. Okay. So that to me is so different. And every time you, it's like you step into a movie. Now, I'm, I'm very aware as well that, I mean, I've grown up with Africa and stuff. Next week, I'm going to Amboseli, which photographically is one of my favorites because of the diversity that you can get there. But, I mean, because of everything we've spoken about, Kenya, to me, it's another staff there. We've got our camp. I've been in, it just, I'm probably more excited going to Kenya and to the Masamara specifically because of the staff and everybody and the experience that it is, then going to many other places in Africa. Um, I mean, it's, it's unfair. I've got two Boston Terriers, right? I've got Rocky and Ziggy, two dogs. <laughs> it's like you're asking me which one I like more. Oh, yeah. I can't really answer. Rocky, it's Rocky, but I can't really answer <laughs> that. You know what I mean? So it, <laughs> it's the same with destinations like this. I mean, everything has its own unique place and flavor. But, yeah, I mean, the Masa Mara for us is special because of both the, I mean, We've got a business there, but more. There's an emotional investment, which 
I mean, you know, you've been there once and you, you can't stop talking about it. But then, yeah, Svalbard's great. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I mean, most days it will probably be one of those two. Okay, so polar bears or yeah, the, yeah Masamar. Have you? Um, so have you enjoyed the Serengeti before? I mean, so I've, got, we, I mean, I've done sure. I think two down in Serengeti where we go during Feb and March because it was also based. We called it the migra- um, what was it? Wilderness carving migration or something. Mm-hmm. Because if you look at how the herds work during July to October, they're up in the Masamara area. They're crossing over the river forward and back because of, of food. And then their journey continues. So they're doing this all the way around. And when they get to the bottom, that's where they give birth. So there, there's no tension. Are they going to cross the river? The tension there is, are there enough cheetahs to catch the babies? Because that's, it's literally just open fields. It's not as rolling as Mara. There's not the river through. It's just flat. Right. So it is spectacular and it has its own kind of allure. But like I said earlier, if people talk about they want to see a migration. What they're referring to is those river crossings. So, Serengeti is great. Um, then Gorongoro Crater, amazing place. You have to go there. But uh, yeah, for me, I think still uh, between those two, and not not for anything I've said, I think the intensity and diversity that you can see and experience for me is, is stronger around the river. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And yeah. really quick, you're talking about cheetahs and you know hopefully catching you know one of the babies. One of my favorite podcast episodes look at this jerry i actually took notes for you and i very rarely take notes for guests oh legend man that's awesome <laughs> i no i i this was interesting i love this topic so it was episode i believe 23 of the wildlife photography yes. podcast and episode 81 blood and guts or not and i really uh-huh. enjoyed how you talked about the reality of a kill because we almost saw a kill i didn't see a kill but it was interesting talk about that really quick with your guests you. so for people i mean Often we'll have people, and mostly at lodges, but now as well, they come and they want to see a kill, i.e. lion catching something, cheetah, leopard catching something. And you'll say to them, listen, Corbin, it's, it would be great, but understand it's not as it. No, 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 says Corbin. I've seen many before on that geo. Yes, but there's no background music. There's no smell. There's no, they, don't, they kind of muffle the, the, the sounds of the prey species getting killed. So, I mean, I think it is a privilege to see that on safari. Um, some people, again, they've gone on safari many times. They've never seen it. Other people on the first day, they're driving wild dogs, tearing Impala up next to their vehicle. Oh, I saw that. But, yeah, that's, yeah. So yeah, that's nasty. So, I mean, there's, I think it's a privilege to see because it is a circle of life. It, it is part of nature. You get people out there and I hope none of the people listening are these people where I'll post a picture of a lion with a zebra in its mouth. And they say to me, oh, well, how dare you call yourself a wildlife photographer if you didn't save that animal? Uh, dude, you're an idiot. Okay. Mm-hmm. So. I think there's the privilege of seeing that. I think photographically for me, it's, we don't need to show that. And, and funny enough, I recorded a new podcast this morning. I mentioned the same thing where I would rather try and show people the romance of it. There's to me a certain type of romance of imagine the image of three cheetahs running after Thompson's gazelle. The one is kind of reached up. The nails are out just about to hit this thing. And then you take the image. The story kind of tells itself. I don't have to show you a cheetah full of, with a mouth full of intestines. There's, yeah. there's a certain romance of even a kill that I believe it's our duty to show to people because that'll make them look at it and not look away. But it's, it's a tough thing to see. Um, and I think the sound is the worst of it. The sound is. But it's a, absolutely. I mean, and it, it depends. I saw a leopard kill now in Mala Mala. Not a sound, literally nothing. It was just jump, dot, done. So she, she was clean. But I mean, we've sat with, for example, lions killing a warthog. And this thing squealing for 45 minutes because they didn't oh. get the right angle. 
so it is brutal and I'm not saying I'm a fan of it, but I'm, I'm recognized as a part of the system that we go and watch. So mm. it, it is what it is. Yeah. And you were saying that you had guests that were so keen on seeing a kill. And then when they finally saw one, they were just like, you said some people were in tears. Like it was like just, a, yeah. it was a crazy, yeah. you know, experience. The, the one particular, I mean, I was still guiding in Medico way back. And this, it was an American lady. I can't remember where she was from. She came out with a group of them and they said, oh, they want to see a kill. And I do the normal thing. You know what? You're not going to, it's unlikely, but we don't know. No, 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 we want to, we've seen it. No, there's no music, blah, 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 blah. As luck would have it, I think on the second last day of their trip, we're on the airstrip of Madikwe, and a pride of lions pulls down a wildebeest in the open in front of the car. And she's like, in oh, no, we can't watch. I said, you wanted this. You yeah. asked for this. This is it. You, you look at this on TV, and it's all like like romantic, and there's music and chariots of fire as this cheetah's running, whatever. And then they, they take all the, the gory stuff they don't show you. But that is the reality. Um, it's, and I think th th there's a disconnect from me. And I think these documentaries and stuff are great in that they create an awareness. But a lot of people say, I'm not going to come to the migration because I've seen it on TV. Oh, you're missing out so badly because it's, it's a uh, uh, weird word, but it's holistic. It's the smell, the sound, the feeling, the wind on your face. It's all of those things that makes it work. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, really quick. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I could talk to you forever. I know you're a busy guy, but you did something I really want to do. You have recently, I mean, you've seen gorillas several times. I mean, Oh my goodness. Was that just like, and yeah. I know, and you could go listen back to your podcast for all of you listening. You do a podcast on the whole experience, yeah. but what was your first impression? Like, was it just like, I think um, the first time you see a gorilla in the wild, it's because you, you pay for your permit. Normally it's one hour. Right, so you get one hour, and you think to yourself, "Bloody hell, I'm paying six hundred and fifty dollars or whatever it might be for my permit. I get one hour." But it's from the morning you wake up, you meet the guy, they tell you the story of the family and this and that, and then you hike. Sometimes <laughs> we did a, I think, a seven-hour hike on my last one. But you hike, and then when you get close, the the gorilla guide says to you, "Okay, cool, hang back, put your stuff down here. They're just up front," and then suddenly you get this like anxious, nervous thing. And as you go, and it's a funny thing, Corbin, you, you see them for the first time and you almost, I mean, you, you forget to take pictures initially. And then your hour, and photographically it's funny, people for the first five minutes, it's mayhem. They don't know what the hell to do because there's a gorilla and oh my God, and what is my shutter speed? And, and then they calm down for 40 minutes and then the last five minutes before you leave, there's this panic again. But the time with the gorilla for me, it's a, it's a very unique experience because it's a combination of, it feels like that time lasts forever and it's also five minutes. It's, it's, a, it's a very strange reality. But I think as far as intimate experiences go, like seeing a river crossing is bucketless, but it's not intimate as such. A gorilla experience is intimate. I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you'd have seen some images and stuff of these things. Literally, they, they, they touch you as they come past. I had a guy last year. It was his dream to see them. So we went up. He was sitting down. The silverback walked towards us. No, it was one of the young things. The silverback came past. And... He couldn't get out the way fast enough, so I said to him, just sit still, don't move. So he's behind his camera. This thing walked up as close as I am to my computer, looked at him, touched him on his leg as a kind of sign of, I see you, you're cool, whatever. And she walked on. This guy turned to me and he had tears in his eyes. I, and and it's, that, it's that that makes it worth it. Yeah, but Jerry, were those tears of fear? Yeah. Because they have to be so much bigger in person. I mean, dear Lord. I mean, are, are, I mean initially, aren't you just like, I mean, obviously amazed, but... Oh my God, this is a huge animal. It, it is. I mean, I mean, a silverback in, in our terms stands about 1 1.5, 1 1.6 meters tall, and they weigh in excess of 200 kilograms. 
So that's a big, big animal. They, and funny enough, I've never in all the gorilla traps have had a moment where I thought this is dangerous. It's the way they approach. They are habituation. They semi-habituated in that they know people come and see them, but that's why it's only an hour at a time. So it's, you are nervous, but it's the same as someone coming on a safari for the first time and seeing a lion. You're still kind of edgy, but no, it's beautiful. It is absolutely a beautiful experience. Okay. Really amazing. And then I also love the podcast where you talked about your experience with chimpanzees, which I thought was amazing because you said that, you Uh, know, yeah, how was that? (laughs) Those are scary. See, that's what I thought. (laughs) No, I remember, I don't know if you remember this. Years ago, there was a movie called Link. I'm going to go back now on age. And it was something in the line of there was a research facility that had a chimpanzee. His name was Link. They tested something it was before Planet of the Apes, and then he escaped and became this murdering chimpanzee. It's like an old movie. Oh, my God. Now, I grew up, and I watched that stuff. So chimpanzees, they're amazing. They, from, a, from a photographic and experience point of view, they they very animated. When they look at you, they really look at you. But we had one kind of charge us last year. Not really us. There was a female behind us, and one of my guests stepped on a log, which then was popped up on his side. Oh, and they charge in three dimensions. They come at you, then they're up a tree, then they're behind you. Then, oh. But it was more a, a, a sign of intimidation, I think. But I would rather be charged by a lion than by a chimpanzee. I'll tell you that. These things come from all angles. Um, that said, I think photographically, it's, I wouldn't say on par, but it's very close to gorillas because of their interaction. There's more together. And it's a much more, it's a noisy, because gorillas is very quiet and serene. It's this kind of quiet vibe happening. Where chimpanzees, good God, the first time we walk, we stand and I, I rate myself, I can track stuff, right? So we get to the forest and we walk and we're standing there and my, my chimpanzee guy just standing there and said, dude, what are you doing? He says, no, we, we're looking for them. I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you're not looking very hard, you're just standing there. But they go on sound because when these things wake up and they start screaming, it sounds insane. There's just these screams and all of them. So it's a, it's a proper experience, and but, but, but again, very different from gorillas, but God, the chimpanzees is an interesting one. It's a yeah. really interesting one. Wow. And just really quick to kind of lead into this, have you had any really like close dangerous encounters being a safari guide in your years? You know, um, yeah, I think now, now not so much because we, I mean, with photography, I mean, you stuck behind a 7200 lens. I can't judge distance to this thing. It could be close. So not as much recently. Obviously, the odd elephant charging here and there. But as a, as a guide, when I was still driving – and hosting walks, then there was a few. I mean, you put yourself in that area, and it, it comes down to good ethical guiding to manage the, the guest experience, but also the animal's kind of stress level. However, sometimes you walk, or you come around the corner, and you didn't see it, and there's a crystal elephant in front of you. It happens. So there, there's a few, yes. Now, Jerry, I, I heard, if you, and this is just from reading a book, that if you put your hands yeah. over your head or, like, clap above yeah. your head, they say mm. that that scares yeah. them off. Have you heard that? Yes, I mean the biggest thing is is don't run. I mean that's the first thing. If anything comes at you, if you turn and run, think about it. A lion charges you. You stand still versus you run away. The only thing that runs away from a lion is food. Yeah. So instinct takes over. If you stand still, there's a level of confidence. So making noise, clapping your hands, all of those things. Yes, it's a deterrent. The, the, the reality though is, Corbin, the only way that you can know whether it's a mock charge is if it stops. If it didn't <laughs> stop, it wasn't a mock. You know what I mean? So it, it has to. I mean, that's why, for example, the the, the training and the, the the qualifications you have to go through to go on foot is quite extensive. So I mean, me and all my guys, we've done all of those things. Um, but things happen. 
Yeah. It, it's the wild. It's the wild. We were walking around in Hell's Gate National Park, and one of yep. the guys was like, one of the researchers was like, look, he's like, look around for trees because he was like to climb in case we came across like a lone buffalo. And I thought he was kidding, but this guy was completely serious. Have you been to Hell's Gate? Uh, funny enough, no. I've been past there, but never actually stopped there, huh? Very, very cool. I really, yeah. But yeah. You, you don't see much wildlife besides zebra and, you know, warthogs. But still a really cool park to walk around and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. So, go ahead. No, no, no. My, my guys in Kenya, the guys who work and live there, they, they speak quite highly of it. So, yeah, keen to check it out one day. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jerry, you've been all around the world. Do you have, like, one – is there a destination you haven't been that you want to go to? Yeah, I mean, photographically, maybe not. But the only continent I haven't been to is Australia. And funny enough, of, of all the places we visit and just friends and family, I've got probably the most friends there from working on the ships and stuff way back. Uh, I mean, the best man at my wedding was an Australian guy, and Glenn, he lives in, in, in where is he, just down from Sydney. So, I mean, New Zealand, to me, I find quite attractive from a from a landscape and maybe just adventure point of view. But, I mean, there's other things. I wouldn't mind going Siberia. I'm quite keen on that. Um, Antarctica, that's from a photographic point of view. I've started the process now of looking into a trip for 2021. Um, to, to actually host a trip down there. But Antarctica for me, I think is quite high up on the list as well. Yeah. I think so too. I think leopard seals. Oh my goodness. <clears throat> that would be amazing. Sure. Oh, I mean, there's, it's a funny thing because you go to an area and it's not just the photography as such, but it's the diversity. So people often think, yeah, but why don't the polar bears eat the penguins? Well, it's because they live in different <laughs> continents. So I think leopard seals as the injection of stress, like lions do in Africa. I think those things look amazing. I mean, Look, I don't dive. I'm very scared of going under the water. Um, I'll look at it, but yeah, I think leopard seals itself should be pretty cool. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. You're from South Africa. You've never cage dived with great whites? No, no, I've, I've, that I've done. Funny okay. Enough. I've done the cage diving, um, and we, we used to run great white sharks trip in the past with them breaching and catching seals and what have you. But um, yeah, like diving, diving with all the stuff. No, I haven't really done that, huh? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's crazy. Okay, I'm going to ask you a really, really, <laughs> really hard question, okay? Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Do you have – it's going to be hard to answer. <laughs> Do you have like an all-time favorite animal encounter, maybe like photographically or just one that sticks out in your career? I'm, I'm just trying to flash back now. Some of the old stuff will blend together. I think for me this year there were two – uh, just now that um, the one was photographic, the other one was experiential and more video based. But um, in Svalbard this year, we had one particular photo, um, polar bear sighting where we went onto a little island. So if you look at a map of Svalbard, it's basically a triangle. And then at the top, you've got the seven islands. And then just to the northeast, it's basically the furthest, most northeastern part of the Arctic in um, in the Jan Mayan area. There, we went walking on this little island called Col 12. Small. It can't be more than maybe a kilometer and a half long. And on the one side, there's a little hump and on the other side, there's this big bird cliff thing. So we go walking on there and we see polar bear tracks. And the rule is if you see polar bears on land, you're not allowed to land. Just that's how they do it because they will eat you. And um, we walk around, we see these polar bear tracks, people walk around and we had a good sail around the island before. But then as we get back on our Zodiacs, we're driving back, we get to the boat, we all have our hot chocolate because it's cold as anything. And as we sail away, the guide says, stop, stop. He's got his binoculars on it. And there was a polar bear sleeping somewhere. So we went back. And photographically, it was just ridiculous. She had this dark, deep blue, stormy background. We got close. This polar bear walked up on the top of the ridge with the background behind it. She came down. She charged us. She stopped three, four meters from the Zodiac. She, we spent maybe 
hour and a half, two hours with her. So I think photographically, that was the one that stands out for, for recent times. In March, though, I think from a side thing, it was just like, what the hell just happened? We, um, I was in a private guided trip in Sabi Sabi. So first we went to the Masamara. We looked for Scar. That was the brief. The client wanted to see Scar. So we found him. We photographed him. And then we got to the first evening of our trip in Sabi Sabi. So that's in the Greater Kruger um, area. So you've got the Kruger National Park. And then just to the west of that, you've got the Greater Kruger. And we're driving around. The sun has just set. So in South Africa, you do night safaris with spotlights and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a little water hole. And the guys on the radio say, no, there's a herd of buffalo at this water hole. And so we okay, that's cool. So we're driving. Someone says, no, there's lions as well close by. So as we're driving towards the water hole, these lions have gone around us, nine of them, young, young pride, one female and a whole bunch of younger males, like five, four, three, but nine of them total. And these things kind of walking next to the vehicles. We're just stopping and they're walking towards the water hole, but they're not hunting. They're not, it's not hunting mode. You can see when a lion's hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we started going a little bit forward. And there's vehicles at the waterhole that's got a spotlight into this herd of buff, so we can see it. Next moment, these lions just run. And it, it, it was probably the most worst hunting technique I've ever seen on lions. But they run into the middle of this herd of buffalo. Now there's chaos. There's dust and buffalo and lions. The, the one lion gets hold of a baby buff, the small one, right? I mean, can't be more than three months. Tries to drag it towards the waterhole. The other buffalo are hitting the lions. That they, I mean, they're flipping around in the air. The one lion with the buffalo ends inside the water hole, runs around, other lions get into the water hole. The buffalo are still hitting these um, lions, they're flipping around. Long story short, this kept on going for about 45 minutes, where now some of the lions are in the water on the kill, the other ones are on the outside of the water hole. Um, The buffalo would, for example, bump them, they'll fall in the water and then jump out because they don't want to be in the water. But now the kill, it was just bizarre. It kept going for about 45 minutes, the buffalo eventually leave, and then you end up with all nine lions now in the water. The water hole is maybe, I don't know, two, three feet full of water. Not, not very deep. And these things are start arguing because a baby buffalo versus nine lions, not much food. The these start fighting in the water. They start running around with pieces of it. It was just – this is the kind of stuff that we spoke about National Geographic or these documentaries. It's the stuff I was expecting to look around and, oh, I see they're filming this. It was that kind of look. I mean, on my Instagram, three or four, no, maybe I posted a lot, maybe like 10 posts ago, I actually posted a video clip, just a minute of these pieces of things. It was insane. I mean, the, the lady who was with me on this trip, she, um, it was the first time ever doing a night safari, because in the Mara, you don't do that. So we got back and she doesn't drink at all, just never does. As, as this all stopped, she sat down and she said, I need a tequila. So we had tequila when we got back to the lunch, but it was, it was so overwhelming and I mean, and yes, you got like next level incredible images, but the experience of that trumped it by miles. Wow. Just by miles. It so was incredible. Absolutely insane. That's great. I mean, so that sounds like an excellent trip photographically, just experience wise. Oh, man. It's everything. Yeah. It's absolutely everything. And, and again, you saying like you want to see a leopard. We went to um, Sabi Sabi specifically. So there's a couple. I mean, Sabi Sabi, Marla Marla, Londolosi, Singita. We run our private guided trips out of those because. It's just this perfect storm for leopards, but the lion sightings are just next level. It's just stupid. It's insane. Man, and so and you've been a guide for so long. Have you ever had a trip that was like a dud, Jerry? <laughs> like Jesus. I mean, luckily now, I think with and, and not really with Wild Eye, we have times that goes quiet, but we stack as many odds in our favor as possible. 
the right time, the right lodge, the freedom, being able to drive whenever, whenever. There's one particular trip way back. I was still guiding a Madikwa that stands out. I can't remember what lodge it was. But these people, it was a family from New York, um, grandfather, um, his son and daughter and a couple of grandkids. They came on this trip. So we drive around and Madikwe, for example, they've got a lot of elephants, right? Up until day three of, I think it was like their sixth day trip, we've seen Jack, nothing. Not an Impala, not a Zebra, nothing. Oh my so, God. And now as a guide, you start panicking a bit, right? So we'll stop for drinks. And by the third afternoon, we're stopping for sundowners. This is when you stop as the sun's going down, have your gin and tonic and this. And I said to this guy, because he's sitting in the back, he always used to sit in the back left of the vehicle. So when I'm talking to them, I'm going to turn around. And I said to him, listen, I'm dying here, man. But he's just happy. He's smiling. He's got no hassles. So I'm thinking, shit, I haven't shown you anything in the last three days. You're paying a lot of money to be at this lodge. They took exclusive use of one of the lodges. At Roma Dikwe then, it must have been. And um, he says, you know what? I'm not worried at all. Because let me tell you why. So this guy shares this with me. He says, the longer we go without seeing anything, the closer we get to seeing something. It's just statistics. I said, dude, you're a rock star, man. Keep that. And I mean, yeah. It was because he said that. But the next morning, we started finding a couple of elephants, and then it just returned. So there's this natural ebb and flow in nature. And the one thing that my guides and I hear both, we, we impress upon the people that we're there to experience it as it is. And it's part of it. But, but luckily, touch wood, goodness, touch wood. Not but, too often. But not even an Impala? What are you doing for three days, Jerry? How are you entertaining oh, them, I, man? I, I don't know what you would I, do. Dude, I was going deep on botany and rocks <laughs> and soils and weather patterns and clouds. I was, I, all, all the stuff you, you learn on your guiding courses that you think you're never going to use, I use that. You use the <laughs> You could go into the soil. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Okay. Oh, right. no. Really quick, uh, what is the most difficult request a guest has ever asked from you? Cool. Are we talking wildlife sighting-wise or just in general? Just in general. I mean, whatever. Wildlife sighting. <laughs> wow. Interesting question. Um, I mean, you get people who come on safari and they will want to see, for example, a river crossing in, in immigration. Or they want to see, okay, let you scar. Because he is a bit of a tough one right now. He's towards the end of his life, this notches son, whatever it is, and the, you would say they want to come and see Scar. So they book this trip and they've got their heart set on Scar. So from the beginning, my team in the office as well will say to them, listen, guys, we're going to try, but it's not possible. So people, I think, from a wildlife point of view, people have these requests, even with Sobi Sobi or Mala Mala, I want to see leopards. We're going to try, but you can't really see this. The things that people ask for that's virtually almost not doable. Pangolin, I mean, a scaly anteater. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen two in the wild in 15 years of guiding. Um, honey badger. Park, um, hu- honey what badger, about honey badger? Uh, some areas are pretty good. Um, the Kalahari, Kalahari area, that's pretty good. Um, Masamara, they're there, but you don't really see them. Sami Sands, you do get them. Photographically, they're difficult, though, because hey? you drive along yeah. and they just suddenly, oh, look, there's a badger, there goes a badger, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, people ask for these things, but... You can, like, I've got a, where is this? On my desk now here. I've got a request for a private guided trip, and the guy's list specifically what he wants to see in a photograph. So now we need to go and see, right, where can we double down, but you still have to manage that expectation as to what is actually possible. Um, I mean, there's, there's other things where you'll be in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you'll be camping in a small thing in Mana Pools, and someone will say, oh, no, but I would like a cappuccino. Uh, <laughs> do you have water? What do you want? So I think, I think with, with what we do now, because there's so much communication from the moment you make contact on Instagram or email or whatever, the, the, the expectation gets managed. But at lodges, you're, 
people arrive and it's just shocking. They ask for the most bizarre stuff. I mean, just as a, you've been to Africa, so you'll know, or any of you guys listening, I've had someone say, listen, they're coming. It was actually a Manapool trip. She's concerned about a hand luggage. So we go the route of, you know what? You're probably speaking photographically. Don't worry about it. We've got, no, no, how is she bringing her water? Sorry, what? She wanted to bring drinking water for her two-week trip in Africa. Oh, my gosh. So it's like, okay, you know what? It's not that bad. We, we do have that. But you might not get um, a, lo- a honey and hazelnut flavored latte in the middle of the bush. Some places, yes. But I think it's, it's just managing that expectations. But sometimes you just sit and you just shake your head and think, what? Yeah. And it's just re- really quick, I actually prefer, and I guess I won't say the camps publicly, but when I first went to Africa, we stayed at a nicer camp outside of the Mara. And then. Yes. And then we stayed in the middle of the bush at this camp called Matira. And I preferred the non-luxury. I mean, not that not that Matira is non-luxury, but I prefer that raw Africa experience over staying in a fancy lodge. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. Funny enough, the meeting I had just before we, we said hi on here was we're talking about kind of if you look at these super high-end places. And a lot of people, if, you, if you're listening, you want to book a first safari don't be misled by the luxury. I mean, I'm just going to divert you for a moment, if I may. I went on a site visit many years ago. I think it was in Botswana somewhere. And the questions I ask when I go to a new lodge or if we engage with a new lodge is, how long have your guides been here? Can you drive off-road? Can you drive in the evening? Um, can you use a spot? Those are the things that will increase the experience. There's some agents that were asking, look, when was the last time you changed the color of the drapes? Oh um, are you going to replace the pillows? That, that is sad. Mm-hmm. But to come back, so you can either stay at these, and some places find a balance, but if you stay in a high-end lodge where they've got aircon and iPod and iPod docking stations, the moment you close the door, you're closing Africa out. You might as well be in a hotel in New York City. Whereas if you're staying in a tent or a bush camp, you are still going to get a super comfortable bed, great food, but, and I say this to people on safari, go to bed half an hour earlier, lay in your bed and just listen, and listen to the night sounds. So for me, there's a fine line of kind of closing off Africa when you go into your room versus still being in the experience. So I'm with you, Corbin, 100%. Camp every single time of the day. Yeah. And then really quick, you just opened your brand new camp, correct? I mean, mm. you've been, yeah. Yes. And is that how your camp is? Is it just that raw See, Africa yeah. experience, but still with a hint so, of luxury? It's, yeah. You know what? I think when, when we went to um, Kenya for the first time, the, the, the scale of the wildlife blew us away. But from a point of view where – they lack so all of all, most of my guides have um, guiding and, and well, all of them have guiding, but hospitality experience in lodges and stuff. And th- there was there's certain things that count. Number one, the game. So Mara does that for itself. The second thing is good food. So so much so that a lot of places are flying in chefs from France and what have you. Um, then it's a comfortable bed. More than that is overkill, I think. So our camp used to be a fly camp, i.e., that had moved every two weeks. So we had two spots on the river. Every two weeks we would move it. Now, we finally, after about seven years, have spoken and we've worked with the local um, authorities and the, and the parks board. They've given us this particular site and we can now double down. So we've built these um, pathways and pathway lights. Normally, it would just kind of walk. But the thing now is we didn't change the tents. We can, it's a dome tent. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, you look at it from the outside. I've got people arriving and they think, I've got to sleep in that. <laughs> but you go inside. There's, it's full solar, everything. There's, it's wooden beds, white duvets. You get your hot water bottles. So it's it's authentic luxury, but you still – I can't remember the last time I was in the Mara where I did not hear lions roaring in the evening. 
The sounds is what makes it. It's mm-hmm. hearing the birds at half past three, four starting to wake up, hearing the hippos outside. It's hearing lions roaring in the distance. That's the win. If you're in a, in a, in a hotel or a lodge where you're just hearing your aircon go, I think you're missing it. Mm-hmm. So, yes, our, our camp is – we don't sell it as luxury. We sell it as authentic. But we've just put in – I mean, I don't know if you've seen any of the videos recently, but we've put in a lounge tent now, which is football. There's – I mean, you've got Wi-Fi. You've got all the basic necessities, <laughs> like Wi-Fi. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, it, it's camp. So that you don't remove yourself from Africa when you're at camp. You yeah. have to be in it. Those sounds are just – the lions are insane. I mean, I just oh, – it's could, the best sound in the world, hey. I love it. I love it. Well, Jerry, Jerry, how could someone get a hold of you if they wanted to go on? And and, and by the way, because you have a very popular, I mean, you have a high social media following. Congratulations. That's amazing. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's one of the things that when we started, when I started the company with John and the guys, we decided not to put much into marketing, but go that route. And luckily, I mean, I, I, for example, if I had to sell papers like this, it would be very difficult, but we've got content coming out of our ears doing what we do. So, I mean, no, we, we, we're very kind of very, very active and engaged on social. So I mean, if anybody wants to get in touch, it's the easiest to get online, Jerry Fennevall, G-E-R-R-Y-V-A-N-D-E-R-W-L-T um, on all the major platforms. Um, that's probably the easiest. Hit me up with a DM or leave a comment or something, and Joe, we can chat from there. I, yeah. think, I think you need to come to Africa with me. I think we could have fun together. Yeah, but here's the deal, Jerry. I feel like you're like the rock star of this group. I mean, is it going to be like, are you hard to get <laughs> like as a guide? Are you going to put me with someone else? Are, are you, I'm going to be like, hey, I'm here for Jerry. And they're going to be like, oh, he's off in whatever. No, no. You <laughs> he's can. off in Borneo. It's, it's, not, it's not quite that bad. No, how it works is, so there's, there's set, set departures. So our, our, our safaris are at the campers on Mara. There's this year we run for five months and – if you go onto the website, which is wildeye.com, wild with a hyphen E-Y-E.com, you can see all the set departures. So on there, you can see all the safaris. We, we're loading another 10 or something tomorrow for into 2020. Um, you can see who the guides are. So you can say, oh, I want to come with Jerry or Marlon or Trevor. Um, if it's a private guide or trip, then it's as simple as getting in touch and say, listen, I want to see leopards. I want to come with a group of four for six days, and we custom that. Okay. So, I mean, but, but that said, I mean, the one thing I am super proud of here is – the caliber of guides we've been able to put together. Um, all of the guides, every single one has guided at high-end lodges. They are trails guides that can walk. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of the whole group, and I would very comfortably put you or any of the of the people listening with any of them. But if it's, if it's a specific guide you want, then on the calendar you can see who's hosting the trips, or if it's a private guided trip, then we just make a plan and say where we're we going and make it happen. God, that's awesome. Okay, can we just talk really quick? Because I know people listening are probably thinking, okay, price range. You don't have to give me exact prices, and you've actually talked about this in your podcast because yes. you've talked about these safari companies that are just so cheap and mm-hmm. they nickel and dime you on just mm-hmm. you know stuff like that, and, and yes. you talk about the quality. So just talk a little bit about that. A safari, you pay what you, you, you get what you pay for. The, the, the big problem I have is if people advertise safaris, they have, for example, say, six-night Masamara safari. But if you look at the details, there's one night in Nairobi before, one night in Nairobi after. You're driving, so two of your days ago, you've got two days in Amara. So I think people need to read the detail. So, for example, I'm going to use Amara because I just know that off the top. Our Masamara safari, which is six nights, seven days, fully inclusive, from Nairobi, your local flights, all your food, all your drink, all your game drives, everything – and two of either myself or one of the other guys or two of my guides, um, I think that's about $5,400 all in. So that is that's not bad. literally everything. No, it's not at all. No, I, the, the thing there is 
people often don't include the flights. They don't include the drinks, the Wi-Fi. So it's literally a stock-to-bottom thing. There is, if you look at the other end of the scale, so if I'm just converting to dollars here, something like a six-night Madikwe Safari, which is still big five, great for wild dog, five-star lodge in this case. I used to manage this way back. That, for in dollar terms, probably about $2,300 with one of my guides. Only five guests, so small and intimate, lots of personal attention. And then on the other side of the scale, you get, I mean, if you say to me, Corbin, no joke, if you say to me, I have, let's say, be, be considered it, I've got $40,000 and I want to do a private guided safari with me for two weeks. I can very easily make that happen. I can make and it happen too, Jerry, for forty grand. I could. <laughs> I'll be your. I'll be your guide for forty grand. <laughs> but you see, then then we're looking at there's the transfers are seamless. There's a certain level of service and exclusivity that comes. That would be private vehicles everywhere, private transfers, private everything, um, high end lodges, places you can't normally get to. So there's I mean, if someone has and and the nice thing what we do is if you if you email me and say listen. I want to come on a five-day safari. I have $2,000. I'm going to say, very honestly, listen, and if you say to me, you want to see the migration, I say, it's not going to happen. It's just, <laughs> you can make it happen, yeah. but the experience is going to suck because you're going to drive and you're going to be on a truck with 50 other people. I've seen that. I've seen those double-decker oh, trucks in the Mara, man. and I think, and they're at a siding, and there's some people in the middle who can't see, and I think, dear God. No. Oh, man, no. So, I mean, so that's what's out there. And the problem is they market on the same platforms that us and other companies who are repeatable do. So it's very easy to mix the message. But what we'll do then is if I said, you're cool, sorry, private guiding, not going to cut it because that is a premium product. You get me or one of my guides from top to bottom, everything. You can then say, right, what about my Samara Safari? No, you're not going to make that anyway. I'll then pass you on to my general travel division and they will speak to you and say, listen, you only have this money. Can you maybe add another $400 because then we can do X, Y, and Z? So it's – and the, the difficult thing with people coming on Safari for the first time is where to start. I mean, good Lord, there's 5 million options. So if you just email me and say, I want to go on Safari, I'll say to you, cool, go to my website, fill this form in, which is – it's a private guided Safari, but it says how many people, when, what is your budget, what do you want to see, is there a specific country, what photographic techniques do you want to work on, do you have dietaries? We take that info and that punch and throws out – some realistic options from a pricing point of view. So I mean, there's literally from, let's be nice here, from $1,500 up to, <laughs> I don't know, $150,000, we can, we can make a trip. Wow. So what am I getting yeah. for 150 grand, Jerry? I might win the lottery. Can I get you well, as a private well, guide? <laughs> you can, and you can probably bring a couple of friends as well. Me and my fiance, and okay. Pop- you know, someone, someone listening might say, Corbin, I'm going to come with you. <laughs> they, 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 I mean, the one thing that we're looking at, for example, is you know Africa more or less, right? We can do a private guided safari for $25,000, including Kenya and South Africa. That's all your flights, everything. You just have to get into Africa. If you say to me, I've got 50000 we can say, right, let's do three different countries, charter everything, fly it across. We could, for example, say, right, let's double down. Let's go for $100,000 private. I can say to you, okay, that's cool. Let's start you want to see cats? Cool. Let's go do the Pantanal for jaguars, then fly to oh Africa, God. East Africa for cheetah, then fly to Mala Mala for, for leopards. Wow. The options are endless because we, we operate all over. I mean, British Columbia, uh, Pantanal, Yellowstone, I'm kind of starting to scratch around, Antarctica. So you say India for tigers. You say to me, I want to see cats. I can put that together. And it doesn't just have to be Africa. But again, the private guided thing is a premium, but it gets costed as that. That is amazing. Thing. That is 
Absolutely amazing. So really quick before I let you go, do you have any open positions yeah. for Wild Eye? <laughs> Jerry, I, wow. I, think I, I think I could be a guide. But you, I was listening. Did you make me your binoculars, man? <laughs> I was listening to your podcast, though, yesterday, and you said that you get submissions all the time from wildlife Dude. photographers who say, I can be a guide, and then you said you just throw their stuff in the trash. So. It's because if you leave, if you come to me and say, I want to work for Wild Eye, here's my 12 images. I don't give a shit. I don't care how good your images are. Number one, can you bring your binoculars? <laughs> I should not have told you that. That was, I don't, yeah, anyway, I can't no, even believe forget it. About that. And then, but can you, can you create a guided experience for my guests? Can you send them home with a better experience, um, great images, and new skills and knowledge? That, that's really it. Hey? Mm. Okay, awesome. Mm. Awesome. I will put yeah. in, I will put in my application. I feel like I've already failed with the you, binocular. You have my email address, man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Jerry, thank you so much. Do you have any advice for anyone wanting to pursue a similar career? Because you have a dream job. I mean, you really do, and I know you hear that a lot. I think no, no. I, I'm, I, I'm, yeah, I'm grateful for that. I think the biggest thing is make sure that it's really what you want. Because people see the romance. They see what I share them on social, on Instagram. Um, Make sure that the travel, the time away from home, working – people start in the guiding industry. They think it's just about animals. Yes, you need to know that. It's 99% about people. So is it worth following up? Absolutely, 100%. Um, get a guiding course done. Get some hospitality experience and I mean, and engage with people like myself and Marlon or my guides and say, listen, how does this work? What can we do? Okay. Yeah. And I was going to say, and it's really because people email me too a lot with my work on TV with animals. I can imagine. Yes. And but mm. people don't see, I kind of relate to you a little bit because a lot of people don't see, there's a lot of like 99.9% of the time I'm cleaning up poop or I'm on, on the computer exactly. doing exactly. emails. I'm going back and forth with producers. Like there's a lot of stuff, mm. you, you know, you really don't see. So I kind of yeah. relate to you with that. Yeah. No, I can appreciate that. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, Jerry, thank you for taking the time. I'm so excited, dude. I'm, I'm going to go to Africa with you one day. I'm serious. I can't wait. I okay. can't wait. I mean, you got my email and you know, again, apologies for taking so long. Travel has been interesting, but, um, yeah, we must do this again. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Safe travels all over the world. Do you have any downtime? Is it like the winter time or December? Uh, funny, funny enough, there's season. Africa has a lot of seasons and it's pretty much year round. So you just become very good at taking time when you have it. Two days, you need to make it count. So it's just, it's a balanced thing. It really is. Is it hard having a family at home? Yes. Um, but I mean, Adam, my wife does understand and she knows the vision of where it's going. Uh, but that's why I'm, I'm, when I'm home, I'm home. I'm okay. not then doing other stuff. So I, I think that's important is the understanding from that side of it and being, being realistic when it gets too much, you just say, listen, I need to stay home for a week or whatever, but no, it's, it's so far so good. Eh? Not going to change a thing. I wouldn't either. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jerry. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you so much. Have a good day. We'll chat to you soon. Huh? Yeah, you too. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. Please make sure to hit subscribe and leave a rating. It really helps me out. I also encourage you to check out CorbinMaxi.com. You can contact me there personally, even suggest a podcast guest, or if you just want to learn more about animals.